We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Will you please uh, turn back to that Ephesians reading um, and let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, Jesus said that when he is lifted up, that he will draw all people to himself. And Jesus was lifted up upon the cross just days after he said that. And it is our desire that Jesus would be lifted up right now, lifted up. Uh, as we uh, speak of him and seek to describe his beauty, lifted up upon our hearts and lifted up in such a way that you would draw us first and foremost to himself, to Jesus. Draw us to Jesus. Those of us who know Jesus, draw us back to Jesus. Those of us who do not yet know Jesus, draw us to him for the first time. Draw us to Jesus now. And then will you draw all people to Jesus in some small measure through our witness. Can't think of a greater honor. And it's nothing that we can do, but it is something you have promised to do. And so we ask you to do that which you desire to do. And right now, bring us to Jesus. Amen. All right, friends, uh, turn back to Ephesians. Uh, have that reading in front of you. Now, here's the deal, team. We are finishing Ephesians today. In fact, 
Clint really uh, led us through the end of Ephesians last week. And so today we're just kind of, um, we're wrapping it up with a little bit of a review, just a touch. But over the last few months, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and we've been sitting with the Apostle Paul as he has described what he calls the mystery of the gospel. You can see that phrase in uh, verse 19 of the reading that we just had. And when he says the mystery of the gospel, what he means, at least in part, is he, he's argued throughout all of Ephesians that God has a big plan for all of history and for all of the universe, and that God has gone public with that plan in the person of Jesus Christ. So that when you look at Jesus Christ, what you get to see is God going public with a previously confidential plan for everything. And, and, and even as I say that, that sounds huge and audacious. Doesn't it sound audacious? And yet, Paul has been describing this big audacious vision uh, all through the book of Ephesians. And today we're wrapping that up and it brings up a question for me. And here's the question as we wrap up Ephesians. What should we do in response to this letter? We've been reading it for months. How shall now we respond? How should the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter, change us? And I am self-consciously asking that question at a manual church in 2021 with all the complexity that that means. So uh, Clint mentioned earlier, we are a year into a pandemic. Did you think it would be like this a year ago? Our city has changed dramatically. Our church has changed dramatically. And it seems like every single week there is yet something else to break our hearts. And in this year uh, that's coming up, we will inevitably need to reimagine and relaunch Emmanuel in some significant ways. And so with all of that in mind and much more, how shall we as a church respond to this letter of Paul to the Ephesians? How must it change us? And here's part of my answer. We must be a church, Emmanuel, that is absolutely and completely animated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that audacious vision that Paul was Paul describes throughout this whole letter, um, how God has gone public in Jesus Christ with a plan that reconciles all things and ultimately makes Jesus Christ the main point of all of history. That vision, audacious and breathtaking as it is, needs to be the single animating core of our being, of our corporate life as a church, and of our individual lives as Christians. And I believe that this is the single most important factor for the future of our church. Now, I take all of this from one verse, actually two. Look at verse 19. Look at Paul's prayer request in verse 19 of our reading in Ephesians. Now, imagine the scene. Remember the scene. So the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in the city of Rome. He's been incarcerated unjustly for years by this point. 24 hours a day, he's chained to a guard. The guard changes, but Paul's always chained. And Paul knows that his life is under threat. Previously, he has been uh, beaten by mobs. He's been a victim of religious violence in Jerusalem. At another point on his way to Rome, he's been shipwrecked. At another point on the way to Rome, he has his enemies conspired to ambush him and assassinate him. And right now, he is awaiting trial. Now, 
pause there and just think about the context. And then think about your own life. Have you felt isolated this year? Have you felt locked down this year? Have you felt betrayed by religious leaders or communities this year? Well, listen to Paul, because he has some credibility. And here in this context, what is it that the apostle prays for? What would you pray for if you were him? What's the one prayer request you would have? You would ask for God in that context, or what's the one thing you would ask of God right now today? Keep that in your mind and look at verse 19 and consider Paul's prayer request. He says this, pray that words might be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now I can hear somebody say, well, sure, Paul's going to pray to be a good preacher because he's a preacher. I mean, it's like his job, you know? No, that's not good enough. Why? Because Paul is suffering as he writes this letter. And when you suffer, your prayers get realer. When you suffer, you pray about the things that really matter. You don't pray about the superficial stuff. You pray about really what really matters. And what really matters to the Apostle Paul, the one thing that animates everything in his life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, that explains why 2,000 years after penning this letter, 2,000 years later, this letter, which was written and dictated by a marginalized, incarcerated Jewish man, has changed countless lives. No one remembers the leaders, the important people in the city of Rome at this moment. Nobody remembers even the religious leaders that were in charge of getting Paul into prison. But what we do remember is this incarcerated man who was animated by the gospel and ended up contributing to turning the world upside down. Because he was animated by the gospel and that explains why he's praying that he might clearly articulate it. Now, think about us. Emmanuel, um, we are a little church. <clears throat> we are meeting on Zoom. We don't even have a place to meet physically. There is no measure that brings us out as an impressive group of folks. Sorry. But you know what, Emmanuel? That matters very little. But what matters a great deal is this that Jesus has entrusted us with the same gospel that he entrusted to the apostle Paul. And actually what I just said is not true because the fact that Jesus has entrusted us with the same gospel to which he entrusted Paul means that that is something that is very impressive. But it also means we have a big responsibility and our responsibility is this, our task, Emmanuel, whether we be a big church or a little church, known or unknown, it doesn't matter at all. Our task is to be a people who are utterly captivated by the gospel and then pass it on with pristine clarity to the next generation. That is our task. And that means we need to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to teach us how to proclaim it boldly in the midst of this present generation. And I want to give you four reasons from uh, Ephesians why that's true. We need to treasure the gospel and be animated by it. First of all, because the gospel animates this world with meaning it won't have otherwise. 
Now, I take this from uh, chapter one of the book of Ephesians. So Paul, this was months ago, but you might remember, Paul let, begins his letter with this massive claim. He says in chapter one, verse 10, he says that God has a plan that nobody has figured out up until this point. It was a hidden plan. It was a mystery. No human could ever figure out this plan by thinking a lot about it. God had to reveal it to us, and he revealed his big plan for all of history when Jesus showed up, so that if you want to know God's plan for everything, you've got to understand Jesus. He's the missing piece that makes the rest of the puzzle clear. And the plan, according to the Apostle Paul, is that God's going to, quote, unite all things in Jesus Christ. And I, we kind of go, okay, I understood all the words, but I don't understand what it means. And it means at least this. It means that Paul's saying that Jesus is going to end up being the main point of history. It means that, that all that is beautiful in this world will ultimately end up being a kind of faint echo of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that all that is broken in this world can ultimately only be repaired through Jesus's work upon the cross. And so when all is said and done and we see the big story arc of all of the cosmos, we're going to see that ultimately Jesus brings all the threads together. Jesus is the ultimate meaning of the world. Now, Bring that to us because we live in a world that on the one hand is desperate to find the meaning and on the other hand is super suspicious of finding meaning, right? Do you know what I mean? We all want to find meaning and purpose in life, don't we? Um, I'm a pastor. I get to talk to people at different stages of their life. One of the things that seems to me is that people tend to freak out about every 10 years. Um, I don't know where you're at with this, but it seems to me that people freak out at age 15, 25, 35, 45, I think probably 55, and I'll, I'll let other people determine what comes after that. But it seems like about every 10 years, a bunch of people start screaming out the same thing. And, and the thing that they scream out in different words is, what am I here for? I need meaning. Why am I, what's my purpose? You know, we're desperate for meaning, all of us are. But on the other hand, we're super suspicious. And we're particularly suspicious of anything outside us that's trying to impose meaning or purpose upon us. So um, in previous uh, as times in history and other cultures, uh, mean, uh, family and religion or nation or community uh, give the individual meaning. But the problem is a lot of us are aware that um, we can't always trust those institutions. And that sometimes uh, family and religion and, and nation and community, sometimes when those try to impose meaning upon us, it can become terribly oppressive, can't it? So we're in this awkward situation where we are hungry for meaning, but on the other hand, we're deeply suspicious of being oppressed by those outside us. And so we're left by ourselves. We've got to invent meaning for ourselves. And we're in a cycle of angst and anxiety about it. But now, this is why Jesus is the perfect source for meaning. Because when you look at Jesus, you're looking at somebody who's not imposing a meaning that does not fit. Here's why. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at your creator. You're looking at your designer. He designed you. And he knows you better than you know you. And he made you for himself. And that's why we are all of us restless until we find our rest in him. Which means that you will only really know yourself when you know Jesus Christ. And when you know Jesus Christ, then you will be animated with meaning, the meaning for which you were designed. Jesus is the meaning of your life.
But then Jesus is also the perfect source of meaning because Jesus doesn't oppress. Jesus himself is somebody who was oppressed, right? Jesus came into all of his authority when he hung upon the cross. And when he hung upon the cross, he was on the one hand suffering oppression from all those things that we're afraid of. But on the other hand, he was at the same moment subverting all of that oppression. And that's why when you look at Jesus Christ, you can trust him that he's not going to oppress you. He's going to liberate you with meaning. Emmanuel, be animated by the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel animates this world with a meaning it can never have otherwise. That's the first reason. Here's the second reason we need to be animated by the gospel. We need to be animated by the gospel because the gospel imparts reconciliation to a world full of hate. I take this from Ephesians chapter two. Paul is writing to a group of churches around Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And these churches were majority Gentile and minority Jewish, we think. Now the trouble is that the Gentile community and the Jewish community tended to hate each other. So the Roman Gentiles had oppressed the Jewish community. The Jewish community tended to shun the Gentiles and the division ran both ways. And that division between the Jewish community and the Gentile community was a vivid picture in Paul's day of a universal problem. And here's the universal problem. Humans hate each other. Don't we? We do it all the time. I mean, the murders in Atlanta this week are an unspeakable wickedness. And in this one horrible tragedy, it seems like um, all the threads of our nation's brokenness are all tangled up because you've got racial hate, you've got misogynist hate, you've got religiously motivated hate. It's a cocktail of evil. And it is right to lament with the Asian American community in their pain this week. And once again, we are reminded that we live in a world of hate. And it's a hate that we cannot find the off button. We can't find the off button. And the gospel tells us there's a reason why. That human hate has a root cause that no human can resolve. And the root cause of human hate is that we are all of us alienated, not just from each other, but more deeply we are alienated from God. And God is the source of love, but we have cut ourselves off from God. Therefore, we're cut off from the source of love, and therefore we are left hating God and hating each other. And sure, we try to paper over this with things like pleasant religion and laws that can kind of barely restrain us. But here's the terrible thing. The terrible irony is that those very laws which should restrain our worst sometimes end up promoting hatred, don't they? It's called unjust oppressive laws. And on the other hand, religion, which should teach us to love, very can become utterly corrupt and it can end up justifying wickedness or even promoting it. And we're left. No human can resolve the problem. Except the gospel says that's not entirely true. The gospel says that there is one human, but he's unique because he's both fully human and fully God at the same time. And Jesus Christ, when he hung upon the cross, in that moment, all our human hatred came down upon him. 
wicked, corrupt religion targeted Jesus and put him up upon the cross. And wicked, corrupt laws targeted Jesus and put him up upon the cross. And as he sat under the weight of human hatred, he was also experiencing the root cause of human hatred, a human alienation from God. And to put it in other words, Jesus on the cross experienced the penalty of sin in all of its forms. And as he suffered under the weight of sin's penalty, he exhausted sin of its power and he satisfied the justice of God. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus accomplished everything necessary so that God's enemies could become God's adopted children. And as God's adopted children, we could be brought into a family of reconciliation with each other. The dividing wall of hostility, chapter 2 of Ephesians says, has been torn down through the cross of Christ, and Jesus has made in its place one new humanity. And that is Jesus's vision for the church, Emmanuel. Jesus wants his church to be a transnational, multi-ethnic, love-animated community that is united not by common interest or background, but by our common Lord. That's Jesus's vision for you and for me and for us and for the wider church. Don't we need a community like that? And someone will say, but look at the church. It's horribly divided. And the guy in Atlanta claimed to be a Christian. True. When the church is not animated by the gospel, it is uglier than everything. And when the church is not animated by the gospel and not truly reconciled to God, then it will inevitably end up resembling the chief priests that put Jesus upon the cross. Don't ever forget that Jesus himself was a victim of religious violence. Jesus knows the situation. But on the other hand, when the church of Jesus Christ is animated by the gospel, then it will share in the beauty of Christ himself. So Emmanuel, the call is urgent. Be animated by the gospel of Jesus Christ because you and I need the reconciliation only Christ can give and this world needs a community of reconciliation. Third reason we need to be animated by the gospel. The gospel gives hope in a world where everything dies. So the apostle Paul lived in a world of death. Uh, so he was facing his own death. Um, he was held by the Romans and you know that the Romans were not shy about killing people. A few years later, they cut off his head. And he was writing to a group of people who themselves were uh, imperiled because they were following Jesus. I don't know if you think about it uh, this that often, but, but for a lot of people, when you start following Jesus, it puts you in peril, like your life. Um, I had the privilege of baptizing uh, a gentleman uh, from Iran one time. And uh, he and I both know that as he emerged from the baptismal waters, he emerged as an enemy of his state. But nevertheless, he came out of the waters of baptism full of joy. <laughs> and that joy was the outward radiance of an inward hope. And in chapter one uh, of Ephesians, Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would know a hope that comes from Jesus's resurrection. See, friends, Jesus died upon the cross. That's what we were just talking about. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And that resurrection power is powerful enough to undo the wickedness, so to speak, to redeem, to transform. And that resurrection power is available to everybody who belongs to Jesus. And Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus is they would know the power of Jesus's resurrection in their lives and that that would lead them to hope. Now, the resurrection of Jesus 
and the power of resurrection in our life, it doesn't mean that we will not suffer and it does not mean that we will not die. You will suffer and you will die. We all will. But resurrection power means that if you belong to Jesus Christ, suffering and death will not win in the end. Jesus wins in the end. And that explains why my friend, when he came out of the waters of baptism, came full of joy and full of hope because it meant that all the power of Iran or any other state could not steal his eternal future. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives a hope in a world where everything dies. And it seems to me that hope is pretty elusive right now. Some of us try to be optimistic, but that is not the same thing. COVID-19 has melted, made us feel our mortality. If it hasn't, it needs to. We live in a world that even sometimes the whole of our earth seems to be terminal at the moment. And we live in a world in which we see wickedness and the death it provokes and brings and we see it all around us. We live in a world in which it appears that everything beautiful eventually dies. Where does hope fit in a world like ours? Well, friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives a, gives a hope that is stronger than death. So be animated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. Because this world needs a hope that is robust enough for a world in which everything dies. But the resurrection means that Jesus has conquered all of that death. Lastly, we must be a church animated by the gospel because the gospel gives courage to stand in the evil day. Now, this comes from chapter 6, verse 13. It says this, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, Paul is full of resurrection hope, but he is not an optimist. He knows that real evil is all around him. But he also knows that the gospel makes him able to stand firm and stand courageous in the midst of the evil. He, he's in chains, but he's not cowering. Now, we're not sure of the timeline, uh, but we think that a little bit after this, Paul had his first court hearing in Rome. Um, and we he tells about it in another letter of his to someone called Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to what he says about his court hearing. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Now think about that for a minute. Do you feel isolated? Consider what it was like for the Apostle Paul. He was innocent. He was incarcerated unjustly for years. And then finally he gets his day in court and everybody that he relied on deserts him. That was an evil day for the Apostle Paul. Can you identify with him? Have you experienced the evil day? If you can't identify with him, give it time. You will. And in a broader sense, we live in an evil day now. Real evil is all around us. So the question is, how shall we stand? And how shall we stand with courage in the face of evil? The resurrection gives us hope in the end. How shall we stand now in the midst of the evil? Well, listen to the next thing Paul says about his court hearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 says this. Listen. Paul says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. See, the Apostle Paul stood in the evil day because Jesus stood with him in the midst of it. And can you catch how Jesus answered Paul's prayer? So in our Ephesians reading, Paul asks, he, want, he says, pray for me that I will proclaim the gospel boldly, come what may. And in 2 Timothy, we find out that on the day when everybody deserted him, in Paul's day in court, Jesus answered that prayer. In what might have been the darkest moment of his greatest abandonment, Jesus did not abandon him. Jesus didn't leave him alone. When all the circumstances had fallen apart, nevertheless, Paul found himself not alone because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you alone and the apostle Paul could stand before all the might of the Roman Empire because he belonged to a greater Lord Emmanuel do you know that you belong to a greater Lord then why are we so afraid look at your Lord he stands with you he stands with you in an evil day so take courage how shall we, friends, respond to Ephesians? Ephesians is about the gospel of Jesus. It's a story about how God designed and orchestrated all of history to be a story where Jesus comes and stands with first of all his enemies he stands with us when we hated him he stands in our place upon the cross and then he does everything necessary to take us his enemies and make us his adopted brothers and sisters reconciling us to god the father and then to each other defeating our deaths and filling us with courage in the present moment emmanuel do you treasure the gospel the gospel animates this world with a meaning it can't have otherwise. The gospel imparts a reconciliation to a world of hate. The gospel gives hope in a world where otherwise everything dies. The gospel gives courage to stand in the evil day. Can you think of anything else that does all of that? Can you think of anything, in the anything else that the world needs more than that? And can you think of anything in the world that is more worthy of your life and your anything more valuable than that. Emmanuel, let's be a church that is animated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's make Paul's prayer our prayer, that Jesus would so captivate us with his gospel that he would also open our mouths to proclaim the mystery of the gospel boldly in the midst of this present world. That's how we must respond to Ephesians. And that's how we will stand in this day and in this year and throughout all of eternity. And I promise you will never regret it. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.